you know, a lot of people say you make your own luck. And I think you make a lot of your own serendipity. Meaning the more you're out there, the more you engage, the more you expose yourself to people in the world and platforms and, and different ideas, the more opportunity you have for serendipity to happen. Welcome to the Art of Humanity with Jessica Ann. Listen for fresh perspectives with artists, leaders, authors, and entrepreneurs. Explore creativity and consciousness. Evolve your business with the Art of Humanity. Now, here's your host, Jessica Ann. Hi guys, Jessica Ann here. Welcome to episode 19 of the Art of Humanity. In this episode, I talk with Ted Rubin, and geez, what an amazing human being this guy is. Uh, I first met him back, way back, and I think it was 2012 or 2013. It was one of the very first South by Southwests that I went to in Austin, Texas. And we've been friends on Twitter for a while, so I reached out to him and was like, hey, Ted, let's hang out. And we met in person in real life, face-to-face, and we've been friends ever since. Uh, so here's our interview. And he has a lot of really good things to say, especially in today's digital tech age. Um, He really brings truth into the importance of being human and building relationships and getting away from our goddamn phones all the time. Just put it down. Look people in the eyes. You'll really benefit yourself and feel more happy, (laughs) really, is what it comes down to. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you like what you hear, please go to iTunes and leave a review in the iTunes store. It'll mean so much to me. Welcome to the Art of Humanity, where we explore creativity and consciousness to allow you and your business to evolve. Today, I'm so thrilled to have with me Ted Rubin. Ted is a leading social media marketing strategist, keynote speaker, brand evangelist, and acting CMO of Brand Innovators. He's evangelized the term return on relationship, a concept that he believes is the cornerstone for building an engaged multi-million member database. Many people in the social media world know him for his enthusiastic, energetic, and undeniably personal connection to people. Thank you so much for joining me, Ted. Uh, Jessica, I'm so happy to be here, and I really appreciate that you reached out and always love talking to you. Yeah. So before we start digging into the gist of your work in the world today, can you tell me a little bit about your background, your story, where you're at, and where you see yourself evolving to in the next few years? I know that's a Um, huge question, but... (laughs) I was about to say, how how many hours do we have? First of all, I'm 58 years old, so you certainly don't want my whole background. Um, I'll, I'll bring us really quick up into the digital age. In yeah. 1997, I, I, I discovered the Internet. Um, I researched. I, I found a guy named Seth Godin who was interviewed in an article, and I basically said, I want to work for this guy. And uh, I sent him, yes, a resume. You know those pieces of paper you used to fold uh, you know, up with a cover letter? No, what's that? Uh, I never and, heard of that before. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's on paper, and you use no this way. thing called a, a, a typewriter <laughs> to make it. it it's remarkable. And... Um, I sent him my resume, and I remember at the time my wife, who's my ex-wife, um, was you know said to me like, "What are you an idiot? Why are you applying somewhere where they have no jobs?" Because in an interview, in this interview, Seth was asked, "Do you have any job openings? This company sounds really cool. It was called Yo Yo Night." And Seth said, "No, but I'll always hire somebody smart." And I, in my cover letter, I said I read your interview, and I'm that guy. I'm smart, and I know that this internet thing is new, and people are looking for salespeople, and and there's not nobody really knows this market, and I can sell anything, and it changed my life. 
I, I had been, you know, building sales teams in Florida at the time. Uh, a few years after I'd closed the business I ran for most of my 20s, and I was looking for something new, and I moved back to New York. I went to work for Seth, and a very fortunate thing happened. Um, I had moved, left my family in Florida because my kids were finishing preschool, and we had to sell the house, and I made a critical error that I want everybody in the audience to listen to and never make. I moved in with my in-laws. Oh. I, I mean... Oh my Yikes. God, you know, and, and there was a reason, you know, my, my, I was carrying a full home down in Florida and I figured, you know, what's the big deal? I'm just going to be going to work. But, you know, especially when they're like the Costanzas, because <laughs> these people did nothing but wake up and yell at each other. But I always believe things happen for a reason. Mm -hmm. And what happened here was because of that, I made sure that every morning I got out of the house before anybody woke up. And that got me out much earlier than I normally get up because I'm not an early riser by nature. And I got out by 6 every morning, and I got to work by 6.30. And as it would happen, Seth is an early riser. And he was the only guy in this big cabinet's office up in Irvington, New York. And he was first developing all these things. No one had really heard of Seth at this point except for some people in the business world. Mm -hmm. And the only books he had written were self-help books with a guy named Jay Levinson. And Seth, while I was sitting there, coined the term permission marketing, wrote the article for Fast Company, which later became his first best-selling book uh, about marketing. And I, I was there every morning. And although I like to talk, I was smart enough to know I was in the presence of genius. And I just shut up and listened. And every morning, Seth would hold forth on something new, and I got to absorb it. So that was incredible. And it led me into this first era of the digital age. Um, uh, we got bought by Yahoo. We got acquired by Yahoo in the, a year later at the end of 1998. I worked for them for about six months. And then I moved through Web 1.0. And this kind of led me into a lot of what I did, which brought me to a company in 2008 called Elf Cosmetics, iFlipSpace.com. Mm -hmm. And this was a cosmetics company that had no marketing budget. At the time, had really done a remarkable job of growing their business to about the eight to ten million dollar range, doing using all traditional PR, um, 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 shit, you know, word of mouth and, and things like that. And they were looking for somebody to take it to the next level. And I had just discovered social. It was the early stages of when it was starting to scale. And I stepped in there and and had this amazing opportunity to build a brand using strictly ingenuity and social media before everybody was really uh, willing to jump into it. And I just got tremendous experience. They had no marketing budget, so I had to be creative. I had to reach out to big firms, talk about the fact that we had all these women in our database that were in an aspirational frame of mind. And I did partnerships with companies like Disney, companies like, like Virgin Mobility, all these other companies that wanted to reach these people. And I got to piggyback all of, off of their databases in their market. And I got to experiment early with social media, number one, before the big brands were willing to do so. And number two, at a small firm that had no legal team, nobody to tell me what I could and couldn't do. So it was really remarkable. And that's really where I started, you know, wrapping my arms around this concept of return and relationship. Amazing. Amazing. You want more? So, you want more? I no. mean, from there I jumped <laughs> to, to social commerce at Open Sky and then to, then to, then, then to content uh, and, and using influencers and everyday people to create, you know, uh, uh, user-generated content at scale, a collective bias. And then I wrote my book, Return on Relationship, and a follow-up, How to Look People in the Eye Digitally. And it's just been a ride ever since. And basically, I speak my mind. I say what I think. I tell people they have to get back to something I know that is near and dear to your heart, their humanity, about building relationships, about just being nice, about being good to people, and how a lot of these things, connecting with people in a real way, will enhance your business. And a big mistake a lot of people make sometimes is they think I'm saying return on relationship 
versus return on investment. I'm not saying that at all. Mm-hmm. Everything in the end, whether it's business or personal, it personal is related to return on investment. It can be return on investment of your emotions, return on investment of your time or your money if, it, if it's business-wise. What I'm saying is when you build a strong relationship with people, the return on relationship will always enhance your return on investment. Absolutely. Oh, gosh. Yeah, there's so many different directions I can take with this right now. I love that you have such deep online background beginning back in the late 90s with Seth Godin. That's just incredible. Uh, How has the online scene changed? I mean, so much has changed since then. I'm curious, what is your perspective on kind of how things have changed since then and how it stayed the same? And, And how much of of the work that you do in this world, um, this is kind of a double-edged question here, um, or two-part question here. (laughs) Um, How much of your early success do you think um, was attributed to, you know, serendipity and, you know, just forces aligning at the right time? You know, serendipity is is a funny serendipity is a funny thing Mm -hmm. you know you you, it's like luck you know a lot of people say you make your own luck and i think you make a lot of your own serendipity meaning the more you're out there the more you engage the more you expose yourself to people in the world and platforms and and different ideas the more opportunity you have for serendipity to happen Mm -hmm. so you can certainly have a big effect on that i mean if you sit at home never get online never leave the house there's going to be very little serendipity other than the guy that comes to fix your washing machine um (laughs) If you get out every day, if you get online, if you connect with people, if you join tweet chats and online forums and, 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 and webinars and you go to events and you, you, you walk the streets and you go out and do things and you open yourself up to smiling and meeting people and talking to people, you know, serendipity is going to happen at every turn as well as a lot of lucky circumstances. So, you know, that's one thing. So I think it's played a big part. But I think you can open up yourself to that. Now, you know, back to what you talked about, how things have changed. You know, the, the interesting thing is I've been around the digital space kind of since, since e-commerce was a catalog online, since um, content was strictly taking regular newspapers or magazines and just kind of pushing them online, not even repurposing them, almost just taking pictures of them and putting them there mm-hmm. and not understanding that this, people communicate differently, people interact differently just like they did on the first digital places to now how they do on mobile to how they do on social to how they do on live streaming you know all these things have evolved so i was very fortunate first of all to be around somebody like seth because um i got to listen and learn and a lot of you know what i talk about return on relationship came from seth talking about permission marketing talking about how to build relationships with brands about bypassing the agencies whenever you can and talking directly to the people who you want to do business with. Now, yes, that was a little bit of a, of a, of a diss on agencies because really all they want to do is earn their commissions. Let's face it, you know, and, and earn awards for creativity and they provide a great function because there's a lot of things they do that brands could never do themselves. But his whole point was get to know the people who actually need your product, who actually want to use your product instead of trying to take the easy way out by getting somebody in agency to like it and then kind of fire it out to all of their 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 clients whereas they're never going to sell it the way you sell it they're never going to explain it the way you explain it then they're going to have the passion for it like you have for it so i learned a lot of that from seth and it, and it was something i always believed I, i've always called myself a networker my whole life i've always wherever i go i meet people there's not one stage of my life from education from camps from, uh, from um, business, from jobs, from organizations where I haven't left 
with at the very least one or two very close personal friends who I then bring into my group of friends. And what I didn't realize then, and I realize now, is that I'm not so much a networker, which I am, but I'm a community builder. And I bring people into communities. And I like to say that a network gives you reach, very important reach, but a community gives you power. Networks connect. Networks enable you to connect with various people, but communities care. And what I've always done is I've always taken all my friends know each other from all walks of life, from CEOs of Fortune 500 companies to, uh, to retired New York City police officers who were buddies of mine when they were simple guys walking the beat. And guys that, even, that, guys that worked for me, that even guys that did menial jobs have become friends with most of my friends because I, I, I invite people to places, I bring them together. It was a lot harder to do back in the day because you didn't have online forums. You didn't have places like Facebook or Twitter to put out, hey, I'll be in, in, in Chicago. I'll be at this bar. Come meet me there. And all your friends come and meet and get to meet each other. You have to individually reach out to them. So this evolution to me has been like a godsend. I, I, I've not only am I a community builder, now I have all these platforms to build communities that, that enable me and empower me. Um, but, but I also um, love to interact and meet with people. Um, I'm obsessed with building relationships, with being responsive to people. And, you know, it's gotten a little bit hard because now I have so many people in my, in my sphere that I'm constantly, you know, reacting, answering. And one little warning to your audience, if you're going to make being responsive part of your personal brand, um, be prepared for when your network and your communities and your following grows and you have to be responsible to a lot of people to maintain what you care about. And for me, the beauty of it or the difficulty of it is it's not something I built into my brand. It's who I am. It, it's an intrinsic part of me. I, I am obsessed with, I hate when someone doesn't get back to me. I hate when I don't get back to somebody. So the more people that interact with me, the more busy it makes me, but it, it also makes me happy. Yeah, I love that. That's that's so important. You mentioned something really interesting earlier. You said that community gives you power. How would you define community in today's digital age when there's our Facebook communities and, you know, there's the dichotomy between the digital communities that we have online as well as the in real life communities in our neighborhoods and with our friends and our colleagues. So I'm just curious, what is your definition of community and how can business owners use community as a source of power? A community is, some, is a group of people that support each other in one way or another. It doesn't matter if it's digital. It doesn't matter if, it, if it's in face-to-face. It doesn't matter if it's digital crossing to face-to-face. It doesn't matter if it's traditional digital to social digital to personal or face-to-face digital. A community is people that know each other, that, that know something about each other's lives beyond just being connected via a connection and are there to support them. And the way it gives you power is just think of your local community. Think of be living on a street in a block, if you have, or if you will. If you don't live on one, you probably watch a TV show about one or a movie about one. And you see that people watch the neighborhood. If they see trouble or something happening in someone's house, they call the house, they call the neighbor, they call the police. Um, if somebody's kids are alone, they help take care of them. If somebody's ill, they bring over food to help them. That's what a community does. They support each other. Online communities, let's go to a simplest form. Let's look at bloggers who have supported each other. When I was a collective bias and still a collective bias, we built a community of five, 4,000 bloggers. Now, these bloggers got involved in all different campaigns with brands, but what we, what we found and what was really unique about it when John Andrews and I were running it there was that 
bloggers support each other. So there might be 20 bloggers engaged in an in a engagement with Clorox, building user-generated content about a shopping trip or about a product or about something happening in their home. But we'd find that 50 or 60 other bloggers would write posts about the same thing or share their content because they were supporting them. Because when they were involved in an engagement, they wanted them to support them. It's a give and take. So any, to me, there's so many different ways and there's no real problem with the fact. To me, it's opportunity that there's communities on LinkedIn, communities on Facebook, communities uh, on Pinterest in different places, you know, or, or Snapchat communities or whatever it happens to be. And now what, what a lot of people don't realize is kids have formed, a, a lot of kids and, and, and even adults now, because a lot of millennials are certainly adults in their 20s and 30s, have built communities around text communication. I mean, we look at our kids and I hear people say, oh my God, our kids are so unsocial. All they do is hang out in their devices. I say, no, it's just the opposite. They're way more social than we ever were. They're, they're texting to 30 and 40 of their friends or five and 10. They're telling them where they're going, what they're doing. They don't have to worry about, you know, we couldn't get through the lorry or we couldn't tell Sue where we are. They can find out any moment, anytime, and they get to congregate that way. They travel in herds. They, they get together all the time. They know where each other was. It's not just about hanging out at that particular cheers bar where you know your friends will be. Now your friends are all virtual that you can meet them anywhere. And the same thing goes for Snapchat and the way they're connecting and building communities and communicating with each other and letting people know where they are. So to me, these things have just had a remarkable consequence of building community and any business can take advantage of this. The mistake a lot of them make is they think they want to build their own platform or build their own community or have somebody come to their place for a meeting. That's great if you can do it, but why not leverage these other places where people are? Like uh, I just had a conversation with someone I do business with and they want, they were building their, they're telling me that they're getting ready to build their own community for all of their, all the people in their email list and their, and their, and their business. I'm like, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, because we want it to be ours. We want a safe environment. So start a Facebook group, mm-hmm. start a LinkedIn group. You, you can manage that. You only let, you know, this was someone that really doesn't understand this, but even people that do, there was a whole movement, and I understand this, of you have to own your own space. You have to do it in your own place because Facebook owns that and LinkedIn owns that, and they can shut it down anytime, and that is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Okay, but here's the difference. Once someone's part of a community, you can move that community anywhere. So if Facebook all of a sudden says no more communities, fine. Your last notification is, and by the way, you're still going to know who they are. If you're smart, you're going to know their names. At some point, you might get their contact information, and you're going to say, hey, we're, we're convening our community someplace else. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, years ago, I think this was three or four years ago, maybe even five, at an event uh, 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 before they, they changed their name, um, uh, it was called Blog World Expo. Right. There, there, was a keynote, there was a keynote panel with Gary Vaynerchuk and, um, and Jeffrey Hazlett. And somebody said to Gary, you know, listen, man, you're so active on Twitter and it's so important. What would you do if Twitter shut down tomorrow? And, you know, as I was saying the words myself, which was, I don't care. He -hmm. said, it doesn't matter. It's not about the platform. It's about the people Mm -hmm. that they will. As long as I build a relationship with them, as long as I engage and communicate, as long as they know who I am, I'm not just some prognosticator. They're going to follow me wherever I go. Mm. So I believe that all these businesses need to find, they, they, first of all, very often, you're not a big enough or a strong enough business to start your own group. It doesn't even pay. Sometimes it is. You, also, you can try it. And by the way, if it doesn't work, 
you didn't lose anything. No one's going to point at you and go, you know, Jess and Ann tried to start a humanity group and nobody joined it. They're going to forget about it in three seconds. And you're going to say, okay, nobody's joining. I've tried a bunch of different ways. Let me move on and do this in a different way. Maybe I should join other groups on, and build my own community within a community. So there's, there's dad blogger groups online where there's this one big group, but a lot of those guys in there kind of do their own thing mm-hmm. within the group. Right. You know, or, or, or as you know, within communities, very often there's only, there might be a community of 300 where 20 of the people are really the ones that are involved every day. Totally. So there's a lot of ways to do that. But if you build a relationship, if you do for others without expectation of anything directly in return, you will get the return. Absolutely, for sure. And you recently wrote a post called Let's Make This the Year of Face-to-Face Connection. And in it, you promote the importance of you know, doing things that do build things like communities, like looking people, um, particularly strangers, in the eye and smiling. Uh, you argue that when we're insular and self-focused in the presence of other people, it robs us of our humanity. So my question is, um, you know, as much as we love building these communities and, and doing things digitally, my question for you is, are we already too far gone in a way when it comes to looking people in the eye um, these days? Because so many people get uncomfortable with that. Uh, or, do you, or do you think that there's hope? Uh, there's total hope. You know, first of all, we can do it better digitally. And my last book was called How to Look People in the Eye Digitally. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of that is how to treat people the same way you would if you were sitting across a table from them and you needed to keep their attention, knowing who they are, knowing something about them. I mean, this is like old school stuff. When I first graduated college, my dad was in sales and so was I. He called me up the first week I'm at work. He said, so when's your first appointment? I said, Friday. He said, great. What time is it? I said, 10. He said, what time are you going to get there? I said, I don't know, about 5 to 10. He goes, no, get there at 9 o'clock. Walk around the neighborhood, see what restaurants are there, what stores are there, get into the building early, see what other businesses are in the building, go to the office itself early, see if you can get the person who you're meeting with, their, their assistant or secretary, to allow you in their office, or at the very least to see the outside office, so you can find points of emotional connection. Are there photos on the wall of grandkids, of kids, of fishing, of golf? Uh, you know, what school did they go to? Is there a diploma on the wall? This gives you a way to connect with them. And all this stuff is available to us digitally. But there's two things that's important. Number one, there's no excuse to not be looking at that, that content or that information while you're communicating with someone digitally. But then when you're going to meet with them face-to-face, which a lot of us do, you should be looking at that stuff. There's no excuse to walk into someone's office who you have been meeting with and five minutes into the conversation to say, so how long have you been working here? If you haven't looked at their LinkedIn profile, you just lost that business. You just dropped the ball to the guy who will know who will notice that that morning that person posted or that Jessica recently wrote a book and she did this amazing thing in South by Southwest and how this is really important to her or that, you know, it was your son's birthday the other day. Now, you don't have to know that stuff, but when you do, you put yourself one step ahead. So let's take this to the face-to-face world. We are all face-to-face with people, unless you're a hermit. And I have no issue with people needing to look at their phones. Look, I do it too. Mm-hmm. But the point is, and, and again, I'm not talking about saying hello to every single person you pass on the street in New York City. Okay, New York City is insane, right? Oh, but gosh, when you're no. walking <laughs> in most places or, or on quieter streets in New York or just to one or two people, if someone smiles at you, smile back. And what, I, what really bothers me 
And I see this happening so much. And I don't think this is about the skills. I think this is about people just, they're worried it will take up too much of their time because we're all so overpressed for time. It, you know, and this happens digitally also. Look, it takes time to answer somebody by name to say, Jessica, thanks for your email, instead of just saying thanks for the email. It takes a few extra seconds. And when you add that up over the day, it takes time. But this is how you separate yourself. This is how you show that you care about people, that you do care about humanity, that you do care about them. So when you pass people on the street, smile at them. Don't purposely look in the other direction because what you're doing is damaging yourself. Because I like to say that a brand is what a business or a person does. A reputation is what people remember and share. And people will talk about these things. And it is a small world. And you will become known as that person that doesn't look someone in the eye and looks away and, and, and doesn't feel right and doesn't smile at them and always has a bad attitude. And that's going to reflect on you. And to me, it, it's, it's less of a problem than it is an opportunity. And it's, I love when pe a lot of people don't do something because there's two things. Then you get to prosthetize about it. So you get like me to be able to talk about it all the time. And people say to me all the time, don't you wish more people were, were, were wrapping their arms around and accepting maternal relationship and all the things you talk about? And I say, well, yes, but also then I might have to come up with something new. And this way I get to talk about it all the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but, right. But the, the other thing is as long as most people are not looking up and smiling, be the one that does and it will separate you and people will talk about it and they will remember you that way and they will talk about you that way. And when you're with somebody, put the, put the, the, if you're with somebody, and I don't mean when you're with your regular friends and you're hanging out or you're in between meetings and you're with your, your fellow employees and you've got to get work done. I mean when you're in a meeting, put the phone down and look at that person. When you're out for a cocktail with somebody, set the phone aside and talk to that person. And, and this is about not so much about humanity, although it has a lot to do with it. It's also about showing people how important, how important they are to you. I guarantee you this will dramatically affect your success, your life, and your happiness. Amen. I, I believe it 100%. Um, one of the quotes that I love that you use, besides the one that you just mentioned earlier, your brand business is what you do, your reputation is what people remember and share. By the way, I love that. Brilliant. Um, another quote that you're pretty well known for is, life is not about waiting for the storm to pass, but it's about learning to dance in the rain. How can we learn to embrace the entirety of our human emotions and experiences when life doesn't always go our way? Well, first of all, I want to make sure everyone knows that I did not write that quote. Right. And, but and you, that's, that's you, why yeah. I put... No, I didn't... No, I... 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 I, um, I I put my arms, I wrapped my arms around it. I made it part of my life. That yeah, quote is, is what my, is what my life is about. Now that quote is not, a, is, is no one person that quote is attributed to, but I always put quotes around it when I use it. Um, to me, and look, this isn't an easy thing to learn. There's, there's two things that have gone on in my life that, that have made this become such an important factor for me. One is I've grown older. So I'm 58 years old. And, and I say that, you know, seriously, and that when I was 28, I can't tell you that I would have been capable of living by that quote. I'm not saying that 28-year-olds can't. I'm just telling you that I probably couldn't have. Mm -hmm. um, because, again, we're younger. We have less experiences. Our minds aren't as developed. Uh, we, we haven't learned from our mistakes as much. 
So it's hard to do that. And then truthfully, this whole big second part about that was having to fight to keep my daughters in my life. And a lot of people are, you know, this is very public. I talk about it all the time, but I had to fight in court to keep my daughters in my life and then to rebuild a relationship with them because they've been alienated. And it just taught me so much about not waiting for things to be fixed, not waiting for things to be perfect. I set aside a lot saying, wait till this is fixed. Oh my God, my, my whole mind and attention is to fighting this fight. My, my bills are triple what my earnings are. You know, there was a point where I didn't work for six months, you know, just dedicating my total time and self to fix it, you know, to trying to fix this situation and to fight this battle. And I, I, to tell you the truth, I was incredibly angry when, when it ended, I, I, even though I won, because winning was, was a kind of court order and it helped a lot of people because it's a landmark ruling that's helping people around the country, but it didn't change my life that dramatically because it, there was still the problem of my daughters being alienated. And I, I was angry and I, I'm going to tell you a true story. Not a lot of people know um, that I was decided that I was going to start a site called Rant About Your Ex. <laughs> uh, to, to this day, I still own the URL, so it, you can, and you can see how long I've owned them. Love and uh, by the way, this idea came up back in the beginning of the fight because I was just so angry about the time and the, and the, and the money and the, and, the, and the loss of time with my daughters that, that this was costing me. And I'm very, very fortunate because I had some really, really good friends, really smart people who I brought in on this to help me. And apparently, without me knowing, they all got together and decided, we're never going to do this business. This is Ted's therapy, and we're going to let him work through this. Right. And, I mean, I, a, a lawyer friend of mine wrote up documents to raise money. A technology friend of mine, you know, basically outlined what we'd have to do. This was, you know, early days of social networks. Um, other two other buddies were there. One of them made a logo for the business. Oh, my gosh. And That's finally, nice. I, woke up, I woke up one morning because I worked through this, and I just said, I don't want to be angry anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I want to be like a kid. I want to default to happy, and I want to change my thinking because I have this knot in my stomach every single day and I can't take it anymore. And I called them all up to apologize to say, listen, guys, I know you're putting a lot of time. And we had like five meetings about this, you know, over the course of about 60 or 90 days. And they said, and they all laughed. They said, okay, that's good because we were never going to let you start this business. You know, this was such a bad idea um, to make a place where people are just going to be angry, but you needed to work through this. And that's when I really, you know, adopted this quote about life is, is, and by the way, I was still in the middle of this court battle. It was Mm -hmm. far from over Mm -hmm. when this happened. And I just said, I've had enough of this. I am going to start living again. I'm going to start doing things with my daughters, whether I can or I have to fight for it or whatever it is. And I... You know, it has a lot to do with, I mean, I just posted a blog post. I wear these shirts, be good to people all the time. I met Chris Wittenberg uh, about six years ago, and I was using the hashtag just be nice. And I had a, I have a Twitter handle, just underscore the letter B underscore um, nice. And she has this thing called be good to people. And she said, oh, my God, we really have to talk. And she started sending me stickers and shirts. And now I share them everywhere. And this is not my business. I'm not involved in any way, shape, or form other than I love what she's doing and I'm a supporter because she's just trying to make people's lives better. And I just realized that it makes me feel better. Like, I will be totally honest with you. This is not just about other people. This is about myself. And I'm telling you, it's about yourself. It's about being selfish. You will feel better if you treat people better. You will feel better if you default to happy. You will feel better if you stop before you go off on somebody, take a breath and smile at them instead of yelling at them. 
I guarantee it. Absolutely. And and I mean, it just happened. It just happened today. I went to get some blood taken, and and it was clear the guy there was having a bad day. It was just generally pissed off, and he was you know throwing the vials around and sticking me with the needle and couldn't get a smile on his face. And instead of getting angry, I just said, "Hey, man, how you doing today? You know what's going on? Any any fun plans for tonight?" And, you know, I said it nicely. I didn't say, like, so, bad day today, you know, the way somebody might sarcastically thinking they're being nice or smiling. And I just, you know what? First of all, he lightened up. And I guarantee you it helped him a little bit. But more importantly, I left there feeling good. I love that story with the blood. It just goes to show, you know, you can totally, you have a choice with how you interpret the situation. You can make that about you or you can have empathy and realize, hey, you know what? I'm just some person in this guy's bad day. And you can turn that around and cheer someone up. And that has a lasting impact on the rest of the people that he interacts with for the rest of the entire day. So. You just hit the nail. You just hit the nail on the head. You can have empathy for them instead of being upset for yourself. And and I think that's really the gist of the core of return on relationships. It's really having that empathy and using that in every experience and situation that you encounter. You know, it's taking it's removing right. yourself from the situation and and really empathizing with who you're interacting with and understanding where they're coming from, so you can learn about them. A hundred percent. And and. In the last couple of years, I've, I've added the no let up attitude around it, yeah. that there is just there is just no let up. I use the hashtag no let up. I talk about it all the time. And it goes hand in hand with, you know, return of relationships. There is no let up. I mean, this is something you do all the time. It's around the clock. And the, don't kid yourself. Some of the best businesses in the world are known for it. This has a lot to do with who Amazon is, who Apple is. It's return on relationship. They give you value in return, and they tend to give you value first. marketer, I'm curious, because um, you, you're just so authentic and real and human in every interaction, you know, that I've ever had with you. And, you know, ever since we met back in South by Southwest, you've just been such a genuine great guy. Um, something I've been thinking about lately is, um, as a marketer, what is the importance of having this, like, quote unquote, persona that, you know, if you're in branding or marketing, you know, you're taught to always have that type of persona versus simply being yourself? Do you think that these two concepts are mutually exclusive or do you think that it's a necessity to have this, quote unquote, persona in today's day and age? I'm not a big persona guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. and what I've learned is it's very hard to maintain a persona. Um, Thank you. In other Thank words, okay. <laughs> if, if, I, if I didn't really believe in what I talk about, what I do, it would be hard to keep it up. It would be hard to always talk about it. It would be hard to fight the naysayers who say, oh, return relationship is bullshit. Or, you know, yeah, show me the dollar numbers. Or it's all about ROI. Or I recently had a disagreement with somebody, um, I'll leave nameless, online who said, you know, I like to say that return, return on investment goes way beyond just numbers. Return on investment is, is it, it goes into your personal life. Everything is about return on investment. Return on investment of my time in what somebody else is doing. Return on investment on my attention. Return on investment on my emotions. There is a return on that, and I value what I do versus that. And this person's contention was, that's bullshit. Very clear. There is nothing. The only thing return on investment has to do is with dollars. You can either measure it with dollars and cents, or it means nothing. And I, I don't agree with that. And I, you know what? I won't back down from that. I don't care how many examples he shows me. I don't care whose writing he shows me. I had another disagreement with another um, uh, um, um, 
researcher, pundit, whatever, what you have, who, who there's a, there's this whole study going around that says the reason, um, the, the consumption of cereal is going down so dramatically is because millennials are too lazy to clean the dishes. What? From eating cereal. <laughs> and I'm like, that is, that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard. <laughs> and, and, and it's been done in these classic, you know, researchers where they, you know, they sit people down, they ask them questions, and they say, this is total leading research. The cereal companies want to say that it's not because their product is less healthy. It's not because there were much better alternatives. It's not because our, our, our um, existence and the way we operate and what we do is changing. It's not because their product is inferior. It's because millennials are lazy. That's why we can't sell more cereal. Oh, my gosh. And, and you know, then they get people to research this, and they, and they, they kind of preset what their answers are going to be by, you know, letting people know kind of what their expectations are or by what, what answers they give as, as opportunities. I mean, if you give me a B, C, and a D that make no sense and A makes the most sense, I'm going to pick that every time. And I just recently had a conversation with someone who I really respect, by the way, who does a lot of research, and he says to me, no, you're absolutely wrong. I, I didn't believe it either, so I did my own research. And it's absolutely true. And I go, I'm sorry, you will never, ever convince me of that. Because it's just how hard is it to clean a plate with eggs on it? How you know how <laughs> hard ridiculous. is it to make is how hard is it to make how hard is it to make a smoothie and clean up after that? I mean, it's the most ridiculous statement, but it's something that has been put out there as a rule. And I think, and I've I've read other posts that agree with me that have been written by people who say this is utter utter and total nonsense. This is happening because. Cereals are, are, are low in nutrition. Cereals are milk. People are drinking less milk and drinking less products like that. So there's, and they don't like, let's say, almond milk or some other substitute. I mean, there's all these other reasons for it. There's so many more alternatives today than there were before, you know, for things, for things we can eat. And I, but, but this, this statement has become something everybody's talking about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, uh, to me, you have to be careful about what you listen to. You have to go out there. The beauty is you can hear these conversations. You can go out into social media. You can follow people. You can see what they're talking about. You can pose a question and see how people answer it versus what might happen where they're given choice. Give them an open-ended question. You know, instead of, you know, why are you eating less cereal? I, I mean, I, I would be really surprised if someone answered legitimately in volume without any kind of, uh, of prodding that it's because it's too difficult to clean up. That is just so funny and hilarious. I, I can't get over that. I want to definitely make sure that listeners know where they can find you online. Where can we go to learn more about you and your work? I'm really easy to find. Google Ted Rubin, and the first 10 pages are about me. If you Google, first of all, I have a divorce dad section in my blog, tedrubin.com. So that's somewhere where you can find out a lot about me. If you Google Ted Rubin divorce, it, it all comes up. And I'm at Ted Rubin on Twitter, at Ted Rubin on Instagram, at Ted Rubin on Snapchat. I'm at Ted Rubin everywhere. So you can find me like that. And if you want to email me, it's Ted Rubin at Gmail. Feel free to be in touch anytime. Thank you so much for joining me, Ted. It's been so much fun. Um, I really enjoyed it, Jessica. Let me just leave your audience with one last thing I want them to, to always remember, that relationships are like muscle tissue. The more you engage them, the stronger and more valuable they become. That was episode 19 of The Art of Humanity, where we explore creativity and consciousness to help you and your business to evolve. I would absolutely love to know what you think of this podcast. If you go to iTunes and leave a review in the iTunes store, I would love to know 
what you're doing and how you are using all this information for your business or just to become a better human. You can also shoot me an email at hello at jessicaannmedia.com or tweet to me on Twitter at it's Jessica Ann. That's I-T-S-J-E-S-S-I-C-A-N-N. I am also on Instagram at the same username, I-T-S-J-E-S-S-I-C-A-N-N. And I recently joined Snapchat. I'm kind of loving it. I hated it at first, but I kind of love it now. So you can add me both on Instagram and on Snapchat at It's Jessica Ann. That's I-T-S-J-E-S-S-I-C-A-N-N. You're going to love next week's episode. It is with a super cool dude that I got to interview face-to-face. You'll hear it next week. See you out there. Thanks for listening to The Art of Humanity. Please follow us on Twitter at It's Jessica Ann. Join us next week with your host, Jessica Ann. Evolve your business with the art of humanity.